Money FM 89.3, best of workday afternoon. Here on Money FM 89.3, I'm Clarissa Monter of the Workday Afternoon. In Singapore, 12% of the population suffer from pre-diabetes, one-third of which will become diabetic. Another one-third will remain pre-diabetic, and with exercise and weight loss, the remaining one-third can revert to normal glucose levels. PM Lee reiterated Singapore's war against diabetes this year, and this afternoon, we find out more about type 1 diabetes on Health Suites. Up next on Money FM 89.3. Health Suites with Clarissa Montero on Money FM 89.3. Good afternoon and welcome to Health Suites on Money FM 89.3 SGH. We'll be conducting a series of webinars for the public this month to give us all more information about diabetes, particularly type 1 diabetes. Ahead of those webinars, we speak with Dr. Suresh Ramachandran, consultant, Department of Endocrinology, Singapore General Hospital, to learn more about type 1 diabetes. Doctor, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Clarissa. All right, now let's get into it. What is type 1 diabetes? Type 1 diabetes is an autoimmune disease affecting the pancreas. Now, what do I mean by autoimmune? Autoimmune disorders are conditions in which a person's immune system or the defense mechanism attacks their own organs. So as a result, people with type 1 diabetes cannot produce insulin from the pancreas. Now, on the other hand, in type 2 diabetes, the main problem is insulin resistance or the insulin does not work as well as it should. So while there are oral medicines for people with type 2 diabetes, people with type 1 diabetes, the only treatment is to replace insulin. Okay, and when you say replace insulin, would that be the daily insulin injections you have to give yourself? Yes, you're absolutely right. So in terms of replacement of insulin, they will need anywhere from four to five injections daily of insulin. Four to five daily injections? Yes. Okay, this sounds like a pretty serious disease. Yes. So in people with type 1 diabetes, apart from taking the injections, um, the other decisions that they will have to make is to actually adjust the doses of this insulin. Uh, The reason being that whatever they do, whether it is the amount of food they eat, the activity they do, how they feel, how well they slept, all of this might have an impact on their blood sugar. And so because of that, it is not the same dose that they will be taking every day. They will have to learn to actually adjust these doses based on what they do from day to day. Okay, this sounds like a different difficult and complicated illness to suffer from. What is the difference between type 1 and type 2 diabetes? It sounds like type 2 is easier to live with. Yes. So because type 2 diabetes has, uh, people with type 2 diabetes have some degree of insulin being produced in their body. Mm -hmm. When they go through their life, eat different things or go through activity, the body can actually help them in adjusting um, the insulin levels to a degree. But as in people with type 1 diabetes, because of an absolute lack of insulin, the only insulin that they have in their body is those the insulin that they have injected. And hence, they need to be very accurate with the dosing. So yes, it, it is indeed quite different. Type 1 diabetes is very different from type 2 diabetes. Are the causes or the, or the reasons a person develops either type 1 or type 2 diabetes the same? No, they are not. In type 1 diabetes, as we just discussed, it's an autoimmune condition. Mm -hmm. And why does a person develop that? We know that genetics play a role Mm -hmm. in that children of parents who have type 1 diabetes are at higher risk of developing type 1 compared to someone who does not have such a family history. Uh, Type 2 diabetes, on the other hand, is usually associated with other metabolic problems like being overweight, a history of high blood pressure, high cholesterol and all that. So while um, a healthy lifestyle uh, might help you to reduce your risk of developing type 2 diabetes, 
there is nothing that one can do to actually prevent or reduce your risk of developing type 1 diabetes if you are at your risk. Okay, so basically if it is in the stars for you to develop type 1 diabetes, you probably will if it's in your genetic makeup, what have you. Yes. Okay. Are there certain symptoms that they're looking at? I'm assuming that a newborn baby is not necessarily already born with type 1 diabetes and it's something that might develop later any other time down the road for them if it develops. So what kind of symptoms are they looking at? If someone knows that there is a predisposition for them to develop type 1 diabetes, what kind of symptoms are they looking for? Yes, so you're right. So type 1 diabetes typically starts off or they are that people are diagnosed when they are young. It could be as a child, it could be as an adolescent, mm-hmm. or it can even start off late in adults. Now, in terms of the symptoms, the symptoms are very similar to what happens to someone with type 2 diabetes where the sugars go high. And when the sugars go high, the typical symptoms they develop are lethargy, they start to lose weight. They may start to produce more urine, and so they may frequent the washroom more often. Uh, these are the typical symptoms of high blood sugar, which happens in both type 1 and type 2. Can you tell us how common type 1 diabetes affecting Singaporeans or Singapore is right now? Yeah, so worldwide, uh, type 1 diabetes is estimated to affect about 5% of the people with diabetes. So that means if you have 100 people in the population with diagnosed with diabetes, it's likely five of them have type 1 diabetes. Okay. And, um, and this, this percentage may be different in different age groups because I told you that type 1 diabetes tends to present at a younger age group. Mm-hmm. And so if you are to look at the younger population, children or young adolescents, then a larger proportion of that group is likely to have type 1 diabetes. Okay, so obviously... It's not a huge number, but it is still a number of people who are going to have a very complicated disease. Now, the question, of course, for them would be, can it be cured? Yeah, so unfortunately for type 1 diabetes at the moment, there is no cure for it. As is for type 2 diabetes, there's no cure for it. Mm-hmm. In, in terms of type 1 diabetes, as we discussed, the only effective treatment is to replace insulin, right. and which involves fortify injections a day. And so the key about uh, treatment of type 1 diabetes is actually equipping the person with type 1 diabetes in self-management. So we actually have to educate this person and provide this person with the knowledge and the skills required to actually take care of their diabetes and adjust insulin doses on a day-to-day basis. And the use of technology like insulin pumps and glucose sensors, this has actually tremendously changed the management of type 1 diabetes. It can really help these people take care of their diabetes in a much easier way. Mm. You've said that type 1 diabetes can present in a child or an adolescent. You've also said up to four or five insulin injections a day. This sounds like a very challenging situation for parents because children aren't necessarily the easiest people to treat on a regular basis. And I'm assuming this is a lifelong treatment you're talking about. Yes, you are absolutely right. So it is indeed a challenging situation, challenging condition to actually live with and treat. And that is why, although the proportion of people who have type 1 diabetes might appear much lesser than people with type 2 diabetes, mm. the amount of support that these people need to take care of this lifelong condition is actually very different. Right, of course. And as well, it should be because it sounds very challenging, not just for the child or the adolescent or the young adult, but for their family members as well. Absolutely, absolutely. As a child or a young adult, the management or the care of their diabetes is most of it is probably done by their parents. Mm. And then it is as they actually grow up into adolescence or adulthood when the person actually takes over their care. 
So I am an adult endocrinologist and I usually see people with type 1 diabetes once they are adolescent um, around the ages of 16, 17, 18. That's when we actually start uh, taking over their care from our pediatric endocrinology colleagues. So how do they manage the situation as they get older? I mean, they, you know, with every one of us, we have ambitions, we have interests, we have certain hobbies that we want to pursue. How do you help them manage the situation so they can have their best lives, I guess? Yeah, very, very important question. So as I said, the key boils down to educating this person to actually take care of the diabetes as best as possible. So the person needs to become an expert in using insulin, an expert in adjusting the doses of insulin based on their day-to-day changes. So we actually teach them how they do this. So in fact, in SGH, we have a five-day group education program for people with type 1 diabetes, and it is called DAFNE, D-A-F-N-E. And that actually stores, stays for dose adjustment for normal eating. So it's a five-day group education where we actually teach them almost the, all the basic essential skills they need to actually live with type 1 diabetes. You are um, in the Department of Endocrinology. Do you have expert advice or insight advice regarding diet, regarding exercise for people living with type 1 diabetes? Yes. So people with type 1 diabetes do not need any special diet or special forms of exercise. Uh, What it boils down to is they learn how to adjust their insulin levels based on what they want to eat. So basically what they go through is they actually learn to estimate how much carbohydrates they are planning to eat. And based on that estimation of how much carbohydrates they plan to eat, they are able to calculate how much insulin they need for the food that they're going to eat. So to put it simply, if they're eating more carbohydrates, they need more insulin. If they're eating less carbohydrates, they need less insulin. But they can choose what they want to eat. Oh, that's good. (laughs) That's good. At least they get to eat what they want. Yeah. So the, in terms of the advice for the healthy living, it's no different from any other person. So the healthy diet, which is advised for any other person, applies to person with type 1 diabetes as well. And for exercise, similarly, they need to make some planning. It's not that they should not do any form of exercise. They need to do some planning because if they go ahead and do an exercise without adjusting their insulin, then their sugars may actually go too low. So they need a little bit of planning and adjustments of insulin, sometimes before as well as after an exercise, to make sure that their sugars Okay, let's talk a little bit about what could go wrong, especially when you're dealing with children. They're not, you know, the most, shall we say, disciplined about what they eat, or maybe they might not even remember what they did eat as you're trying to adjust their insulins. What kind of emergencies can emerge from living with type 1 diabetes? Right. So I need to mention I'm an adult endocrinologist and so I may not be the best person to uh, comment on type 1 diabetes in children. Uh But in general, I can comment the emergencies which these people may come across. One is extremely high glucose levels and this can happen because of lack of insulin. And in people with type 1 diabetes, if they actually lack insulin for even a few hours, they may become very sick and they go into a state of acid building up in the blood. So this condition is called diabetic ketoacidosis. Mm -hmm. Now, if people have gone through an education, the training program, we actually teach them how to identify this state, these sort of complications early. And we even teach them how to manage this at home if it is mild. So they will be able to self-manage at home if these are very early and mild. But if the condition actually worsens, we actually give them specific pointers as to when it is time for them to actually stop self-management at home and then get to the hospital. So one problem is extremely high glucose levels and acid buildup in the blood. And the other way is low blood glucose. So 
again, if the blood glucose is low, low blood glucose is mild, the person can actually self-treat it by some quick-acting sugars, usually the use of fruit juice or fat-free sweets. But if it becomes severe, they could become unconscious. And in such situations, they may need help from others in the form of certain injections or sometimes they might need to be brought into the hospital if, if they're unconscious. So again, when you're living with someone with type 1 diabetes, you need to be able to recognize symptoms if they are going through any kind of distress or an emergency is developing and know what to do. Absolutely. Okay, I, I mean, one of my, my earliest memories of my grandmother is her going into a diabetic coma at home and, you know, my uncles who she lived with knew exactly what to do. Of course, I was a child, so I was just watching this. But that's exactly what you're talking about, knowing what to do, when to call the ambulance, when to give her or whoever that is suffering from type 1 diabetes their insulin shot on their behalf if they need it. So majority of the time, the person with type 1 diabetes will be capable of taking care of themselves. Right. Um, and they are the best person to decide about what insulin doses to take, when to take. Right. Uh, if they may require help mostly in situations of low glucose. And again, as I said, if it is mild, they should be able to take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. But yes, if there is a person who gets repeated episodes of low glucose to the point they can become a little bit confused, it's best that the person who whoever is living with them, whether it's family members or colleagues, know that this person has the condition, um, being able to identify such states and actually know how they can help them. It might be a simple thing as getting them a glass of fruit juice or if they are truly unconscious, they cannot, then they may need the help of uh, calling an ambulance or getting them to the hospital. Right. Okay. This is all very, very useful information. We've been speaking with Dr. Suresh Ramachandran, consultant, Department of Endocrinology, Singapore General Hospital. If you'd like to find out more, you can sign up for their lunchtime webinars, which will be held via Zoom on 8th. 15 and the 22nd of June from 12.30 to 1.30 p.m. This is SGH's Living with Type 1 Diabetes webinars. Doctor, thank you so much for the information. Thank you very much. I'm Clarissa Montero for the Workday Afternoon. This is Money FM 89.3. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.